Hello, everyone. Welcome to North Point Plus. Uh, this is our podcast that follows the uh, sermon on Sunday. I'm Sylvia Jarvis. This is Rick Rubel. You've, you seem a little distracted today. I'm a little off my game. This is our uh, second go around try at this podcast <laughs> thing. So episode 115. So we're, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've been doing this for a while now. Yeah. I think we'd be experts, but yet you would here think, we are. Yes. The, I, actually, a little behind the scenes look, we uh, made it through about the first seven minutes of the podcast and realized it was not recording. Yeah. So this is the first ever second take of, of uh, North Point Plus. But we'll, we'll give you the highlights of what we were <laughs> That's just right. talking about. That's right. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on Silver Bells? <laughs> um... <laughs> So well, the city. Uh, I love the song. It's a great song. I actually just not the event. I've I've not been to the event. We've lived here uh, now nine Christmases, and I actually this is our tenth Christmas, I guess. And uh, we've never been down for it. We just have not done it. So, and I try to go every year. I've definitely missed some, but like um, my husband and I, one of our first dates was actually to Silver Bells. Oh, nice. Yep. And so that's um, why you go. Well, it's romantic. Now I go. It's funny. Now I go with my sister-in-law every year because she is always like, "Do you want to go?" And I'm like, "Sure." And Jake is always working now. Oh, so it's just it's funny. So her and I get to go. But you have a favorite float. I do have a favorite float. It's the Petoskey Steel Drum Band, and I think it's not just my favorite float. I think it's pretty much everybody. All of Lansing's. Um, but a little insider for you. People from Petoskey don't always love the steel drum band. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, my sister's boyfriend is from Petoskey, and he doesn't like that float. And I said, it's because you're jealous, because they're so cool, because <laughs> I like to pick on him. But it is. It's a very cool float, I think so. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So you spoke on Sunday. I did. Uh, can you give us a little recap of what sure. you spoke about? We um, we finished the the um, blueprints series uh, on Sunday, uh, and really kind of did a did a just a flyby of Acts nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, and then really kind of focused on Acts thirteen and fourteen, which is still a really long uh, passage to try and go through. But basically, as we've talked through this series, we've talked about. Um, the church in the New Testament, in the, specifically in the book of Acts, um, and the patterns, the model that it creates for us in terms of uh, us evaluating what we do, where we are, how we do it, and, um, and taking a look at the, at the blueprint that's there to try and model that. And the, and the heart of the message really was, as a church, a healthy church reproduces, a healthy, uh, healthy churches a healthy church multiplies. And so we looked at Paul's first missionary journey, and the and really the big takeaway is that we've got to be involved in planting churches. And the cool part of that was um, that we are. At North Point, we, we are. I don't know what you thought at the end, but I, uh, I shared uh, really in the last eight years, we've helped either plant or replant seven different churches. And, uh, and that's kind of a cool thing. And I, I thought... The highlight of the service really was the the video from Mohi um, oh, yeah. from the Mouse, yep. just talking, about, showing us what um, has happened uh, with the church that we helped plant in Shubani, Kenya. And I think that, um, and this could just be me. Sometimes you 
we forget that we like help do all those things. Like, cause I'm like, Oh yeah. Like you started saying some, and I was like, I remember that. Yeah. And so like, it's just cool to be able to look back at that. And especially with all the Mohi stuff now that, um, like we're, um, doing our special Christmas offering again this year Yeah. for Mohi. It's just like cool to see that video because it puts it like, it's kind of the same, um, like putting a face to the name kind of right. deal. Like you're, pu- I'm putting a image in my head of like, oh, that's the building. Like yeah. that is the school or the church that we built. Like it's just, I think that that's nice. Yeah, it's not just writing a check or or doing right. an electronic gift. It really is thinking. Like I, I've watched that video probably now maybe ten times, mm-hmm. and and I just keep seeing those little boys yes. sitting in front oh of the my church gosh, yes. um, and that little girl in the, the dress. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's uh, dancing kind of along with the ladies. Um, but it, it is, I, I can't wait to go back this summer and see the, the building mm-hmm. and, and the people and in talking to the people from Mohi, um, the difference that that church has made in that community is just dynamic. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's transformative. Because it's it was a community with no school, no church, um, no presence of Jesus, except for Angazi uh, camp that Mohi helped um, help start. That's about uh, maybe a couple three kilometers away, mm-hmm. and and the backstory of the of the planting of the church was that um, the people from Mohi came in to to help build the camp. And they hired contractors, but they hired a lot of uh, a lot of the people in the community to help them too. And so they're watching, and every day they would start. The Mohi people would start with devotions and talking about Jesus. And um, and when they got to the place that the build that the buildings were built, the people in the community said, "Can't we still do this?" And um, and when Jake and I were there last year, we met uh, Dan, Pastor Dan, that that is the pastor of the church. And and at that point, he was just walking from house to house to to uh, talk to people about Jesus. So they they were just starting to gather, and it was yeah. just a few people. And so now, the fact that they've got um, somewhere between three and five hundred people, counting the kids that are coming to worship, is really really cool. It is really cool. That video too. Every time I've seen it, I've only seen it a couple of times, but I feel like I see something different every yeah. time. Where I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like yeah. those little kids are just so dang cute. Yep. Um, but so let's jump into some of our questions. Um, our first question though, mentions rooted Mm -hmm. and rooted is the study that we haven't, we've been doing as a church, but the life groups have been doing it. So it's not like everybody's been doing it, but a good majority of people have. Do you have anything you wanted to say about rooted? Yeah, we probably had a hundred and somewhere between 125 and 150 people involved in, um, life groups that, that were working through rooted and rooted is all about seven rhythms that um, that are a part of the uh, the life of a follower of Jesus, uh, and so it's all about prayer. It's about service. It's it's, it's about um, community. It's about um, what else did we did we uh, giving a lot of those those rhythms worship that are part of that. Last night or Sunday night, we um, we had a celebration for the end of Rooted and had. I don't know, over 100, maybe 125 people who were there for that. That was just fantastic as people shared stories about how they had taken steps in their relationship with God and um, and how God had worked through that. It was it was really, really cool. That was separate from what we've done on Sunday morning, but it's been kind of fun to see how things often 
dovetailed in terms of what was going on in, yes. in our rooted groups and what was coming out of the book of Acts. Uh, it was not, I mean, we, it was intentional, but not, um, well, we did the book of, we did the series, the blueprint series independently of rooted, but recognizing that they would probably cross paths. some. Yeah. I, so I was there and I think, um, the cool thing about rooted is that we were all doing it. So like, all the life groups were doing it, but we were really just doing it the whole time with our life group. And then to be at the event where we're all like talking about our own experiences, but some of them are similar, but some yeah. of them are very different. I don't know. It was just a cool sense of community to be able to sit yeah. there and talk with everybody, how we all just did this huge study together and how fun it was. Um, but then also just to hear everybody's stories individually, like yeah. um, we kind of, you know, did open mic about like, you know, just what, and I had a, f a cool story to tell. I yeah. feel like so many people had stories to come out of this where I was like, wow, this is so cool. And my thought was, this would be so cool, like, um, to share on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, but it's just hard because it's like, that was our community. Like we all yeah. got it cause we all did it. And right. so I, right. I don't know. I, I feel much more confident, um, telling people or encouraging people to be like, you should do Rooted. Yeah. Like Rooted is a lot stuff. of fun. And, and if you're not a part of a life group, um, the, uh, what, what our plan is from this point forward, when we launch new life groups, mm -hmm. that will be the first study that we do to start the group because it really does create a sense of community and yeah. it, it helps people get to know each other and it helps people really kind of have a foundation in terms of recognizing how God's working in their life and, and responding to them. So yeah, good, good stuff. Yeah. So our uh, first question is, um, when I fasted from food during Rooted, I got sick. Is it okay to fast from something else when I'm fasting and praying to hear from the Holy Spirit? Because fasting was part of the Rooted. Yeah, it was, it was, it was part of what we talked about in, in terms prayer. of the rhythms, yeah, with, with prayer. Um, it absolutely is okay to fast of, from whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the, the whole concept of fasting is that we... Um, we limit or eliminate some aspect of our life that takes up some sense of time, energy, focus, and instead put that time, energy, and focus on God. So um, typically when somebody fasts, oftentimes um, during the time that they would normally be eating, they're, um, they, they're going to spend that time in prayer, or, um, talking to God, listening to God, uh, whatever that is. And so... Um, if if someone fasts from something other than food, like if if you fast from a TV show or or from TV or from your uh, phone or whatever it is, the concept is that you would stop doing that um, and instead have your focus be on God during that time it's and and for listening to it. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a sacrifice and and it what it does is it's uh, you know Paul talks about not letting our bodies control us. Mm -hmm. um, but but uh, placing controls on our body for the glory of God, and so there's something uh, I think there's a battle that happens when you fast from food and and anything that is of value to you, mm -hmm. and so uh, when you give that up, uh, God does some pretty incredible things. Mm -hmm. So I I would say to anybody who's thinking about fasting, it's a great, great thing to do. Figure out what that is. I would, I would encourage people, challenge people um, to fast from food because I think um, when you fast from food, it, 
it, um, your body screams at you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it really is a, a battle and it becomes a spiritual battle over, you know, is my flesh in charge or is my spirit in charge? Um, if you get sick, like I would, I would say, obviously, if you've got, if you've got something wrong in your body and you can't fast, don't beat yourself up about that. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to um, fast more than for, you know, a, a meal or two or a day or two or whatever, talk to your doctor, you know, do that. Don't, don't, don't hurt mm-hmm. your body uh, to do that. But um, a lot of times our body rebels because we're just used to feeding it all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I know in our group we talked about like getting hangry and like who yeah. are the people who get hangry and just need a snack and yep. all that. And so it really does like, um, it's just crazy how it's, it's one of those things you take for granted. And I think that's how I looked at it is those things that I take for granted. Yeah. And um, mostly like a sacrifice, like being on my phone. Like if I'm on my phone that much, it's like, okay, what if I replace this? Imagine what yep. would happen. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So. yeah. Um, but yeah, so our, uh, second question, uh, Herod, the great rebuilds the temple and the city of Caesarea, 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 Mm -hmm. uh, where the amphitheater is. Herod talks to the wise men and kills all the babies. When Jesus is born, Herod executes James and is ready to kill Peter. Herod gets eaten by worms. Are they all the same guy? (laughs) There's lots, there's lots of a Herod movement in, um, in the new Testament. There's dependent on, um, there's at least five different Herods mm. that are there. So um, that's, it's a great question uh, in terms of just trying to keep track of everybody. Yeah. Herod the Great, I, I've, I've talked a lot about Herod the Great because um, when I went to Israel, he came to life for me. He was, he was a massive builder, and he had a monumental ego. So mm. he built all kinds of stuff so that people would remember him which is why he's called Herod the Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and the city of Caesarea um, Maritime, this Caesarea that's on the Mediterranean Sea, um, he really built the port and, and built most of the city to be a little place for Caesar to come, to leave Rome, mm-hmm. come, to, come to the area, and be right on the water. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really cool place. Um, a lot of times, if you'll look, and, and not so much in Italy, but if you see archaeological pictures of aqueducts that have water in the background, that's at, that's at Caesarea. Um, they uh, developed an aqueduct system and would take water and, um, and, and take it throughout the land, which is, which is kind of crazy. Anyway, I showed the picture of the amphitheater because it was a, it was a, um, it was a, powerful moment for me in in Israel to think that's probably where Herod not Herod the Great but Herod that's um in Herod the Tetrarch that's that's mentioned in in 13 and 14 um where he was eaten of worms and died. Did you take that picture or did you find that picture? Uh, I have a picture just oh, okay. like that um but I I ripped it off the internet cuz okay. something happened to my Israel pictures and oh. I can't find them oh, okay. which is you know, but that's cool that you went there because um, um, Jamie has been there now yep. too, and oh, I am so jealous of that trip because everybody always comes back saying that they loved it. It's but. it's it's pretty pretty incredible. So anyway, Herod the Great built all kinds of stuff. Herod the Great is the one who rebuilt the temple, Solomon's temple. So the temple that existed in the time of Jesus, Herod the Great built. He died. Um, Herod the Great was the Herod that tried to kill baby Jesus. Okay. Um, so that all happens. He dies about, uh, I don't know, right, right around 4 BC, 2 BC, somewhere in there. Um, 
Herod the Tetrarch um, that, that we talked about in um, Herod, who's sometimes called Herod Anapas. Um, he's the Herod in this particular passage that we looked at. Um, he, Jesus called him Herod the Fox. Um, he, oh, actually, I, I, I messed up my story. They're, they're, I'm going to talk about four different Herods. Herod Anapas, Herod uh, the Tetrarch, is um, who executes John the Baptist. Okay. Um, so uh, he's the guy who divorced his wife, married his half-brother's wife. Um, John the Baptist said, man, you, you're not doing the, the, you're not honoring God. You ought not do this. Um, cause Herod's the king of Judea, you know, he's, uh, working with the Jews and, um, and Herodias, Herod's wife, um, her daughter dances for Herod. Mm. Herod's enthralled with Salome and, uh, Herod says, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you up to have my kingdom. And Herodias says, "That's for John the Baptist said," mm-hmm. and um, he executes John the Baptist. That's that's Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas. Um, that's the Herod who was in charge when Jesus was on trial. So Jesus goes on trial with Pilate. He they Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate, and um, and Jesus is executed. Herod Agrippa, who is the Herod that's that's uh, that is in Acts thirteen and fourteen. Is the, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, um, and he's the guy who uh, executes James, mm-hmm. uh, Peter, James, and John, the, one of the apostles, the first apostle to be martyred, and um, and he's he's then the guy who, when Peter escapes prison by the power of God supernaturally, the angel comes and um, and releases him from prison. Herod cuts out and goes to Caesarea, gives a big speech, probably in the amphitheater, mm. and the people say, "Oh, this guy is incredible! The, you know, he, this is the voice of a god, not of a man." And Herod says, "Yeah, you I am." You know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um and God says, oh, "Not so much," and and he dies right there, and he was eaten of worms and died. Love it, love it, love it. Um, just just fun. Uh, so that's that's Herod Agrippa one. Then if you get to the end of Acts. Uh, Acts 25, Acts 26, mm-hmm. Herod Agrippa II, his son, um, is mentioned there. And that's the Herod that then Paul is defending himself because Paul has been um, charged. He's, charges have been brought against Paul, and Paul defends himself to Herod Agrippa II. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the guy who says, you know what, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you appealed to Caesar, you're going to Rome. He, he would have released him, which is um, just kind of interesting. Anyway, that's four different Herods yes. that are there. So why doesn't the Bible, well, I was thinking this, like, why doesn't the Bible write that every time? But then is it because we should just know the time periods well, and the hair? Well, the, the, when they would have written it, everybody would have known. It's like, right, that's it's, what like I was, it's, yes. it's like saying, oh, yeah, George Bush, George Bush, um, um, that was he was president after 9-11. Right. And we know, oh, that's right. 43. That's not 41. That's yeah. not George Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah. It's um, or. Which, I get it's not, yeah. Um, so, so they would have known. And when you look at historians like Josephus, they help they help uh, paint the picture of who everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it they are. I mean, it doesn't say Herod the Great. It, it doesn't use Herod the Great because at that point in time, 
it it was just Herod. Yeah. Um, Herod the Tetrarch, which means Herod the ruler, or Herod Anapas, was kind of like Herod was a title as much as it was more of a title than a name, mm-hmm. kind of like king. Yeah. Kind of a deal. So. Um, uh, it it calls him Herod Anapas or Herod the Tetrarch in in the New Testament. Herod Agrippa is who's mentioned in in um, in thirteen or twelve thirteen twelve Acts chapter twelve, and then when it gets to um, Acts twenty five, it says Herod Agrippa again. Yeah, I just think that's a good reminder though, because like I mean, even today, you know, we have multiple people named Jake or Jacob and we right. have lo- multiple people have the yep. same names, but I just think that that's a good reminder. Um, and to see like, it's just the lineage right there. Yeah. Like, I think that stuff's interesting Yeah, and it just helps me remember like, no, there, this was a lot of time passing. Like, yeah, because <laughs> if it just says yeah. Herod and I think a lot of people just think Herod, you know, and, and, uh, what the question was like, says all these things but it's yeah people. yeah and um and again i would say part of what's cool in this is real people real place yeah. uh this is not fiction and and historians non-biblical historians affirm the the um the lives of these people and yeah. their stories yep yeah i do think that is cool um so our next question here uh, doesn't God sometimes call us to do things out of our character or outside of our comfort zone? Yeah, this is a great question, and it comes out of the uh, a section in the message where I talked about um, that it was just really interesting that that the leaders at the church in Antioch, so Simeon, um, uh, Manaean, Lucius, Saul, uh, Barnabas, all of them are they're worshiping, they're praying, and in the midst of that time as they pray and fast, uh they they say, Hey, we need to send Saul and Barnabas on this on this missionary journey. We need to send them be, to do what God has called them to do. And um and I part of as I studied and looked at that, I thought, okay, why those guys and not the others? Mm-hmm. Um I think the Holy Spirit prompted that. But uh, the 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 thing that they were called to do was consistent with God's character. It was consistent with what, with what Jesus had told them to do, and I think that it was consistent with their gifting. Mm-hmm. That, that that if you think about who would you want to go on a journey to tell people about Jesus, you'd yeah. want somebody who's like warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. encourager, and you'd want somebody who was bold and direct and and was able to to. Um, not argue, but who was able to to state a case and defend and and defend, yeah, and I and so I think that they were equipped um, incredibly to be able to do that, and that that was consistent with their character as well. Um, so I I said in the message, I think steps, if, God, right? if if what's that you had steps in the message like um, praying before taking yeah yeah those. yeah yeah the, those those four things in in terms of. Uh, seeking God mm-hmm. um, and saying, is it consistent with God's character? Is it consistent with what the New Testament teaches? And is it consistent with my gifting, ability, um, uh, passion, th- those things as well? Um, the uh, the the question really is, uh, does God does God only work in that? And, and I think no, but I think that that's a good filter for us to use when we feel like we're called to do something. So um, the, the like if. Um, I'm tr- I'm trying to think uh, of of some aspect like if if God called me to to um, to go preach in 
southern Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, I'd certainly be open to that, but it'd be like, man, I don't understand that culture at all. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe, maybe if it was outside the country, someplace, I don't know the language. I don't, you know, it's a completely different environment than I've ever grown up. I'm going to have a lot of a lot of struggles. Sometimes, sometimes God does call us to do that. To He calls us to serve outside of our gifting, mm -hmm. but oftentimes I think that He equips us and prepares us to serve, to, to, to respond to his calling mm -hmm. with ways that he has prepared us in the past so that we're, so that we're ideally suited to go do what he has called us to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm glad you um, expanded on that. Cause I guess as I was sitting there on Sunday, just me personally, I was thinking like, do I take all these steps every time I have to make a decision or, but it's, yeah. I like how you said it's like when you feel prompted or you feel like you're being called somewhere and it is stretching the boundary of like, Oh my gosh, like you're kind of freaking out. Maybe like, you're like, yeah. I don't know if I should be doing this then go into those steps. I really, I like, um, yeah. And, and I think that, I think at some level it was in retrospect, I think that we can look back and say, Oh, they were ideally suited to, to, yeah. to do this ministry. And sometimes we're not even aware of how God has prepared us. It's like, I, I can remember having a conversation with, with somebody at one point and, um, and they had changed their major in college mm. and, um, and felt like, you know what, I wasted two and a half years being a biology major and now I'm doing ministry. What's mm -hmm. if that doesn't make any sense at all until 10 years in the future when when people that they were reaching were medical people that worked in research and development in biology and it was like oh yeah he could talk to them yep god had prepared him to be in that place at that point in time yeah. with what had happened 10 years before that yeah I like stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so another question we had, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I heard you say North Point isn't here for you. It's here for your neighbors. Should I keep coming then? I thought the church was meant to train and equip me to go <laughs> take Jesus to my neighbors. Is that not the case? I love the question. Yeah. Um, the uh, Yes, you should keep coming. Yes. Um, the, the point I was trying to make is that the church doesn't exist so that we can come say, oh, this is a great place and, and hoard it. Um, or come for the, just the sake of coming. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's what I do on Sundays. Yep. That's that it's, it's a part of my normal life stuff. I, I think that we, it's very easy for us to forget that God, that the church is the hope of the world, that God um, designed the church to be a body mm -hmm. so that people who were far from him could come to know him. And, um, and so when we come together, it is to worship God. It really is to give our best to God. But it's also, um, it's also to collectively figure out how we can communicate the gospel to people who don't know, who, who don't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, that question is interesting too, because like, yes, we are supposed to train and equip and, um, I feel like when I come to church, like I am learning, like I'm learning uh -huh. to, I'm learning new things all the time. And it could be on something that I've heard a bunch of times and yeah. something sparks an interest or whatever. Um, but yeah, like right now the church isn't always viewed in the best light, like yeah. um, just in general. And so I think that that's a better way to look at it. Like, well, uh, or like, you know, when we say that the church is a hospital, like that right. kind of, for, um, for broken, that mindset, yep. like that's what that statement yeah. is from. Yeah. The, um, you know, about, it's probably been about five years ago that we went to Ukraine, mm -hmm. um, 
to uh, to be with Herb and Kim and to and to help uh, to do a mission trip there. And um, so I'd, I'd been at North Point for about five years, and they asked me, um, really, uh, the guy who was supposed to speak for a missions conference that was there um, got got uh, delayed by plane, whatever, and so at like three or four in the afternoon, Herb said, any chance that you could preach tonight? And um, and I said, yeah, sure. And so uh, we're in the van. I mean, he got the word when we stopped for gas someplace, and so I, I spent the next hour just thinking, Brian, okay, God, um, we were we were actually towards the end of the Esther series, mm-hmm. um, and, and I loved preaching from Esther, and I ended up being able to modify some things. But in the midst of that, when I was preaching as a part of that message, I remember talking about the, the mission of North Point, helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Um, and, I, you know, I had been saying that for five years, but I don't know that I had and until that particular message, it was like, oh, dag on, helping all people, all people, that's evangelism, mm-hmm. move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, that's discipleship. So our mission really is evangelism, it's outreach, and discipleship. It's both and, not one or the other. And so it's easy for a church to be sold out completely on evangelism and, um, and reach a lot of people and people don't grow. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy for a church to say, oh, no, we're all going to grow. We're all going to dive into deep, deep Bible study and um, and have so much heavenly knowledge that they're no earthly good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but but our, our mission, our call mm-hmm. is to—it's both evangelism and discipleship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so last question— uh, Anything that you couldn't fit into the message? Yeah, I, I felt bad. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't say it second service, but I said it first. That I, I had about ten more minutes that I that I wanted to go. And oh. and part of part of what I really wanted to share when we talk about church planting and talk about how North Point has been involved, um, that's great. But I think it's easy for for anybody who was here to think, oh yeah, we do do that as a church. We are involved in church planting. I give my money, and that helps that helps plant a church. Um, and and part of what I wanted to tell was a story about a, a guy who became a friend I met about twenty years ago. Um, his name's Dave Nelson, um, and he was on staff. I think he was a campus pastor at Kensington Church outside Detroit. At that point in time, I was on staff at New Life Christian Church. I was campus pastor there um, in Centerville, Virginia, and um, Kensington Church and New Life and Forefront Church in Virginia Beach, and I can't remember the name of the other church that was in San Antonio. The four of our churches together, um, the reason I met Dave was because the four of our churches joined forces and finances to plant a church south of Detroit, in, in Warren, Michigan. Um, Paradox Church is the name of the church. It's still, they're still going strong, really cool thing. And, and I, I really liked Dave. I, um, I just enjoyed being with him in, in all the conversations that we had about planting this church. It was a really unique thing because we had three different kind of tribal backgrounds, even though um, we were all kind of independent, non-denominational churches. We all had different theological mm-hmm. perspectives. And so having churches with different theology join together to plant a church, yeah. it's like, okay, what theology is going to win here? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it it just was a really cool thing. Great great time with Dave. Um, but at that point in time, Dave was he he just kind of had a dream a little bit. And the next year, he and his family moved to plant a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, not a lot of Christians in Salt Lake City. A whole lot of a whole lot of Mormons. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the thing that that was just out, astounding to me was Dave and his wife communicated the vision of what they were going to do in Salt Lake City at, at Kensington and and with their friends and family and all that kind of stuff. And 30 adults moved from Detroit to Salt Lake City to help plant this church. Wow. They're not on staff. They weren't being paid. They quit their jobs, sold their houses, and they moved to Salt Lake to plant a church. Wow. That's Pretty incredible. So yeah. it was about sixty people, uh, thirty adults and kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave and his wife. That the church. The church has a fun name. It's K two. The church, um, mm. Salt Lake City Mountains. They're from Kensington. K two. K two. The church. Yeah, it's a cool thing. And it's a church now of I think more than two thousand. Um, uh, just committed to following Jesus. Dave's still the pastor there. Uh, really, really cool deal in terms of how God has worked. Um, through them, through the church, to impact the area. And I remember, this tw- again, 20 years ago, thinking that's pretty incredible that people would choose to, to start a new life, like the pioneers, you know, in the, in the mid-1800s, to start a new life for the purpose of the gospel. That's, that's just pretty incredible. So then fast forward a, a, a few years past that, and New Life, the, the church I was part of it at that point in time, was deeply committed to planting churches. Um, there's, you know, I could talk a ton about the stuff that we did there, um, how we did it, and the impact that that church has had. That church has probably been involved. You know, I, I said our seven in eight years, that's, whoo. Uh, New Life has probably helped plant. Uh, I would, I think I've, I've seen a number at some point in time that it's it's probably close to 400 churches. Wow. Um, and... Um, but one of our guys on staff from from Centerville, Virginia, so outside Washington D.C., um, was called to plant a church in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and and we had a group of people from New Life that did the exact same thing: sold their houses, quit their jobs, and moved to Cleveland. Um, who moves to Cleveland to plant a church? Um, I say that you know, being a guy from yeah. Ohio, but it, it's like. Why would you go to Cleveland? Um, and and some of them were our good friends. Uh, um, Stan and Heidi, um, I had baptized Heidi, and um, I, I knew I wasn't going to have time to tell this story. But um, yeah, we're doing okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story anyway. <laughs> um, Heidi, my my friend Heidi, she had come to church just really broken in need, and it and God had touched her life. I had a chance to baptize her, and um, and her husband was a um, math teacher in the high school, the guy who ultimately moved to plant the church in Cleveland, his wife was a math teacher at the same high school, and she had been praying for her, for Heidi's husband, Stan, um, and didn't know Heidi. So I met Heidi because I was a campus pastor, and and so, um, you know, he had had a lot of chance to talk, that kind of thing. And it just was a really, really cool thing that God was working. Um, Shannon was praying for for, um, Stan, 
but Heidi, Heidi came to Jesus. And so we became good friends with them. Um, and, and I re remember, uh, we were together eating dinner one night and, um, and Stan's Stan was absolutely a skeptic, agnostic, atheist, whatever, didn't want any part of God's stuff, but God was doing some stuff. And, I, and so I just said to Stan one night, I said, Hey, Stan, um, how, how are you doing spiritually? What's going on spiritually in your life? And he said, I'm good, Rick. How are you doing spiritually? <laughs> and I went, well, let me tell you. It, it, it just, it was, uh, he was so proud of himself because it was like he turned the tables to, yeah, to right. go to me. And um, it's been a few years since we were together, but he still tells that story. Yeah. I said, Do you remember that night? Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> that night. Um, anyway, Stan and Heidi moved to Cleveland to help plant the church. And, uh, and just a really, really cool thing. Um, that church in Cleveland is, is doing great. Later, we had another staff person um, that went to plant a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, about, uh, I don't know, 60 miles away, 100 miles away. And we had another group of people from the church sell their homes, leave their stuff, and go help plant with them. Um, that I wanted to tell those stories because, like, we think about church planters, and we think, oh, yeah, Saul and Barnabas, they went on this trip. That's really cool. I could never do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's really helpful to think, no, God still calls people to do crazy things like that today. Yeah. And, um, and if God is tugging at your heart to do something crazy, don't discount that and say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Because following Jesus doesn't necessarily make any sense, uh, you know, in the way that the world thinks. And so... Um, uh, that's that's part of, of what I wanted to share yesterday. Yeah, and I think, too, it kind of goes along with a lot of things where everybody's telling you that, like, you're crazy for doing those kinds of things yep. or maybe wanting to go to Kenya. Like, yeah. people think that you're crazy or wanting to go to Sri Lanka. They're like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. But when you're just so at peace because you're like, well, i am been talking to God about this yeah. and we seem like we're on the same page. So, yeah. like, I feel, you know, confident, peaceful, whatever. But, um yeah, that's it's as long as you're doing those steps that we talked about earlier yeah. and like making sure that um, this is something a calling from God, then hey, if he's in it, answer it. Nothing else matters. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rick, for um, chatting with me twice <laughs> <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. One, one last thing. I, I it's funny because I've I don't know that I've ever really done this. But um, I want to plug this Sunday's service. It's the oh, Sunday after okay. Thanksgiving. And, um, and typically here, um, different from some other places that I've been where, like the Sunday after Thanksgiving, nobody was there because everybody had traveled. Here, uh, th that typically has been a pretty, it's pr been a pretty good Sunday for us because mm -hmm. people have family close. But this Sunday's message, I think, um, I, man, I really want you to hear it because it, there's a very direct challenge in terms of action to take. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some really, there's going to be another really cool thing in the service. Um, no spoilers. Um, I, I'll just say we're going to tell a story about God working supernaturally mm. um, that you're going to want to hear, I yeah. think. Yeah. I think it'll be a good Sunday. Yeah. But well, yes. So thank you again. Um, if you guys would like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, send us, send this to a friend. Maybe you don't want to hear us babble, <laughs> though. Um, but yeah, thanks, guys, and we will hopefully see you on Sunday.